I want to talk to you about facing your fears. Have you got faith or you got fear? If you had to guess, what do you think is the most common command of Scripture? To be more loving, to avoid pride, to walk in humility? Would it be having sexual integrity? Now, all of those are important, but no. The most common command in Scripture is just two words. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. You can trust me. And that's what God says over and over. A theologian by the name of Dave Barry put it like this. All of us are born with a set of instinctive fears. Fear of falling. Falling in the dark. Falling on a lobster in the dark. Or the words we men love as daddies, some assembly required. Ah, we freak out. So we all wrestle with fear. And not all fear is bad. There's a kind of a good fear that helps all of us survive. You know, good fear teaches us to respect appropriate boundaries. You know, good fear alerts us to real danger. It keeps kids from touching a hot stove. But there are bad fears. Bad fear paralyzes us from doing what we ought to do. Bad fear is distorted. It's exaggerated. It's out of touch with reality. It's a chronic sense of worry or anxiety. So there's good fear and there's bad fear. Let me quiz you to see if you get it. The fear that keeps kids from playing out in the middle of the highway. That a good fear or a bad fear? That's a good fear. The fear that keeps you from interviewing for your all-time dream job. Good fear or bad fear? Bad fear. The fear that keeps you from expressing your deepest, truest feelings to the police officer who stopped you for speeding, even though there were people going much faster than you, he could have stopped. Good fear or bad fear? Good fear. <laughs> Shut up. But for the most part, the number of commands in Scripture suggests that fear, as it's most commonly experienced by the human race, is not a good thing. Over and over in Scripture, it's fear that keeps people from trusting and obeying God. So true. You know, in Scripture, there are two kinds of mindsets, two kinds of possibilities for the human race. Think about it. One is based on faith. You can trust that God's goodness and God's power are sufficient for your life and live with a sense of relaxed confidence in Him. That's a mindset of faith. Or I can live with a mindset of fear. I'm on my own unless I'm real careful, real cautious. Something real bad is going to happen to me, and I might not be able to handle it. See, the illusion that people with a mindset of fear have is that it's the circumstances I face that produce the fear in me. However, Scripture teaches that is absolutely not the case. Again and again in the Bible, two different sets of people face the same situation and come up with different responses. For example, Moses sent 12 spies to explore the promised land. Ten came back and said, yeah, the land's great, but the enemies who live there are so powerful we could never overcome them. We ought to go back home. But two of those 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, they looked at the same land the same walls, the same size of the enemies, and they say, 
we should go up and take the promised land at once, for we are well able to possess it with God's help. Hmm. Second thought, a young shepherd boy named David brings food to his brothers who are serving in the Israeli army. He sees what his brothers see. The great champion of the Philistines, Goliath, and the Philistines are the enemies of God's people. I mean, this guy is right out of the World Wrestling Federation, and he would mock God day after day and mock the Israeli army. All the soldiers see him, and they're too terrified to take him on. Old David sees him and goes after him with a slingshot. Same enemy. Jesus and his disciples, thirdly, are in a boat one day. Storm comes up. The disciples are so scared, they start screaming in panic. But Jesus, who's in the same boat, is so filled with peace, he's asleep. In all of these stories, and a whole lot more just like them, two sets of people face exactly the same situation, see the same promised land, look at the same enemy, endure the same storm. Some respond with peace, some respond with panic. And boy, that's going on right now with this viral crisis in our world and nation. So what's the difference? It's not the situation. It's not the circumstances. It's the mindset. See, the word I would choose to use is perspective. Your perspective. The most important determinant of whether you live in faith or fear is your perspective. Perspective determines how we respond to things. See, I've used this before, but I still love it. It's a letter a college girl sent her parents, and it shows the importance of perspective. It said, Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire set off by the student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage. I had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly. We've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant. He got fired because of his drinking. So we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of the baby. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of that really happened, but I did flunk chemistry, and I just wanted you to keep, keep it in perspective. Smart girl. Perspective is everything. It's the ability to sort out what's a big deal and what's not. What's urgent, what's important. And so the most common command in the Bible is the command not to live with a mindset of fear, but to live with a mindset of faith. So why? Why? out of all the directions that a human being needs, why is the injunction to not be afraid, number one? Because generally, God will ask people to take some adventuresome step they don't want to take. He calls people to acts of extraordinary obedience, to risky faith. And generally, it all comes down to this. Will they go with their fear or will they go with their faith? And God says, come on, trust me. And he does it so often because the number one factor that keeps people from an adventuresome life with God is plain old fear. I can't trust God. He'll let me down. It won't work out. He goes, I can't, I can't give. I won't have enough. God won't take care of me. 
Let me kind of lay out for you some of the high costs if you decide to live in fear. Cost number one, living in a mindset of fear will eat away at your sense of self-worth. It'll erode your ability to believe in your own value as someone made in the image of God. A psychological association published a book several years ago on self-esteem, and they were looking at this paradox. Why do so many people who have accomplished so many things, who are very gifted, quite attractive, well-liked, why do they struggle with their own sense of self-worth? Well, they discovered it all boils down to one issue, which is this. When you face a difficult situation, a fear-producing situation, do you approach it? Do you take action and face it head-on? Or do you back away and avoid it? And what they found out is that when people take action, even if things don't turn out perfectly, you get this surge of delight. I did a hard thing. I took on a difficult challenge. I faced that fear directly. And they discovered you grow. You gain a sense of strength inside of your personhood. But when you avoid facing your fear, when you try to evade your fear, your inner self knows you wimped out. You took the easy path, and it erodes and diminishes your self-esteem. You mark this down, folks. When you're in a situation that creates fear and you face it head on, you're going to feel a rush of satisfaction knowing I displayed courage. Even if things don't go perfectly, something inside of you will grow stronger. And when you don't do that, you die a little bit inside every time. And if that becomes a pattern in your life, then over time, you'll come to see yourself as somebody who can't cope with life, who can't cope with life's great challenges. See, living in fear will erode your sense of worth as a person and make you feel hollow and empty. That's just the first cost. Second cost, living with a mindset of fear will cause you to experience stagnation in your life instead of growth. Because if you live in fear, you will never experience or realize the potential God has put in you. Because growth always involves risk, and risk always involves some fear. Now, why would anybody stay in a job they hate? It's killing them. It doesn't call on their greatest abilities. They have no passion, no fire for the job. They just punch a clock and tread water. Why do they do it? Well, it's simple. Fear. Fear of failure is what's crippling them, and probably some of you watching right now. So what if you try to do something and it doesn't go well? What if you can't make enough money? What if people see you make a switch at this point in your life and they think you're foolish? So you just go ahead. You go you wait until you get an ironclad guarantee <clears throat> everything's going to work out the way you want it to, or you keep waiting until you get that phone call, and you will sit and sit and sit in a waiting room of life for a call that will never come. It's amazing. They will sit in that waiting room and stagnate their whole life. So 
will some of you, you know, some of you are going to do doing it right now. I have a friend in, in this church that I've been after for four or five years, you know, to work for himself and start his own business, the kind of business he was in. I just knew it. Took him five years to have the guts to finally do it. And he told me after five years, which was just this couple of months ago, he paid off the business loan and they're enjoying a great life, employing lots of people and having the time of their life. But what took him, what took him so long to make that choice was fear that he let go of a paycheck and he wouldn't have enough or he might fail. It's that simple. And what's sad is that one day you'll retire and you'll know for the rest of your life you didn't do what God created you to do and because of fear you will never grow. That's too high a price to pay. Let me stop and say this too. When Cindy and I came out here to start Summit Christian Center some 34 years ago, whatever it was, she always corrects me by a year or so, but whatever it was, I was leaving a great job, living in a great house, in a great community, and life was good. Flying airplane, I just liked everything. Didn't have a care in the world. And when God pressed me to leave that, like Abraham, and start a church, my biggest fear was, this is going to be a bust. It's going to be a failure. It won't work. God, I told you this. I'm not the guy. This is a bad idea. Fear. And I wrestled with that for over a year. And finally, I decided I'll live the rest of my life wondering what if I had done what God said. And today, I'm living that dream because my wife and I and our two little girls got up, faced our fear, packed up the U-Haul, drove into this city without sponsorship, and took a chance. Well, Rick, what if it had failed? Well, I worked really good for other people who said, please come back. <laughs> That's another good thing. If you're going to step out in faith, be sure you're leaving well and blessed because people don't want to lose somebody like that, and you're always welcome back. We had a guy years ago that led our worship team who was incredibly gifted, and I was preaching on vision and dreams, and he had been here for I don't know how many years, got married here. He was just a brilliant guitarist, piano player. He could do everything. And he says, Rick, I'm going to Nashville because my dream since I was 16, 14 years old was to be a studio musician. And I said, let me tell you something, Steve. If it doesn't work out, you come right back here. You got a job. Well, it did work out. And he went on to bigger and better things. I'm never going to stop somebody from taking a chance on their dream. And he had to face his fear, and he's sure glad that he did. And you'll be glad too. You know, a shrunken heart, unrealized potential is just too high a price to pay because of fear. There's a third cost of living in fear. Living in fear will cost you joy. You'll know the pain of constant, chronic, low-level anxiety. Most research reveals that worriers tend to have a high-capacity imagination, but their imagination always runs towards the negative, like, what if? What if I get in an accident? What if I wreck the car? What if I do the wrong thing at work and lose my job? Now, all those things are set in the future. They may never happen at all, and most probably won't. But when I live in a fear-filled mind, 
I give them power to rob me of life right now. See, a healthy sense of perspective allows you to assign those events a realistic assessment that gives you the power to get on with your life. I didn't have a doubt. If this thing didn't work out, if I missed God, if wise counsel to my life was all wrong and God wasn't in it and the whole thing splattered when we started this church, I knew I can go right back to full employment to a number of places who said, please come back. And that'll also be true for you. What if you wreck the car? Well, get rid of it. Get you a new one. What if you lose your job? Look for a new one. Might even be better, might pay more and be more challenging. But when you live in fear, you lose perspective and the power of what if becomes paralyzing and you go through life without joy because joy and fear are incompatible. I mean, come on. Did you ever see a fearful, joyful person? I don't think so. They don't coexist. And that's too high a cost to pay for fear. But there's another cost. Number four, living with a mindset of fear will lead to a mountain of regret at the end of your life for all the risks you never took or all of the challenges you never embraced or all the times that God said to you, come on, trust me. And you said, no. See, God always calls people to trust him. He said to Abraham, leave your home. Go with your wife, Sarah. As an old man, you're going to give birth to a son and become the father of a nation. But you'll have to leave everything familiar and comfortable. You'll have to trust me. You won't get a miracle in your comfort zone. Then God says to an old guy named Moses, hey, Moses, Go confront the most powerful man in the world. Tell him, let my people go. I'm going to start a new people that will give hope to the world, and you're going to be the beginning of it. Ah, but you got to trust me. God says to Daniel, <laughs> I want you, it's easy to read these stories, isn't it, and not do them. I don't think anybody had an easy choice, and you won't either. God says to Dan, I want you to defy the king. I want you to pray even though there's a rule against it. I want you to go to the lion's den, and I'm going to shut the mouths of those lions. Oh, by the way, Dan, you'll have to trust me on that <laughs> because those lions are always starved, so they will devour anything and everything thrown in that pit. And God made them kitty cats for old Dan. But old Dan hadn't read the story yet because he didn't know what was going to happen. He had to trust God. And for those who shrink back in fear and say no to the call of God on your life, you end up sitting in a chair in a waiting room of life with a mountain of regret. I talked to a woman a couple of years ago who was in a long-term relationship with a man, and she knew that the relationship wasn't right. She knew it. It involved unresol you know, unresolved sinful patterns in his life that were serious and abusive and destructive to her. And she knew that, and she knows what's at stake. But she feels that if she breaks up with him, she might be left alone, God forbid, maybe forever, and she doesn't think she could handle that. So she would rather marry a loser, an abusive loser, who's leading her in a path away from God and away from joy, rather than being single and trusting God. 
I tell you what, I told her, I said, I'd rather marry a cocker spaniel than marry some old loser. I, I'm talking to girls right now. You, you need to get a better self-image of who you are and a bigger image of who God is. And that test that you just flunked might be the key when you can walk away from what you know isn't good for you. God says, ah, now I can trust you with what you really want. And what's keeping this girl from getting out of her relationship? Just fear. Just fear. I'll be an old maid. You know, she's headed for a mountain of regret one day because she will never know that God is trustworthy. And by the way, some of you who are paralyzed by fear will never know that either. And when you come to the end of your life, all those what-ifs that paralyzed you for so long now become might-have-beens. What might have been? And they're irretrievable. See, if you give in to the mindset of fear, you're going to find yourself at the end of your life, maybe comfortable, maybe filling up your days acquiring stuff or watching TV. But I will guarantee you the thought will come again and again to you what might have been, if only. What might have been if I trusted God? What might I have done? What might I have become if I had faced my fear? And you'll discover you spent your whole life in a waiting room waiting to live. And folks, that's too high a price for anybody to pay. Let's look at one last cost. A mindset of fear is contagious. It's costly because it gets passed from one generation to another. For parents, I think, this is the highest cost of all. Because if you allow yourself to go through life with your hopes, your dreams, your calling, being distorted by fears and worry, there's a pretty good darn chance you're going to be limiting the hopes and dreams and callings of your kids who love you. See, usually we tell our kids, be careful, watch out. It's dangerous out there. It's a rare mom that said, take big risks, Bobby. Live big. Embrace danger. Look just one way when you cross the street. Get out there and knock them dead. <laughs> now, I'm exaggerating, of course. But kids learn from their parents. And if you don't get a grip on this stuff, your children will learn from you that the only way to go through life is with anxiety and fear. And you will be passing on a legacy you will regret. You know, years ago, I was with Casey Treat and had a chance to climb Mount Rainier in Seattle. It's almost 15,000 feet, snow-covered. 50% of the people that climb it never finish. People die every year on the mountain. However, I did not know that fact. But I jumped at the chance. It was risky. It was difficult. It was only up and down a two-day event nonstop. But it would be with me for the rest of my life. And although it hurt bad, I did it. I think I was 60 or 64. I forget what my age was. Every time I fly out to Seattle and we go over that mountain, coming out or taking off, I can't wait to tell the person next to me, I climbed that. I climbed that. It'll be, I'm so glad I did. Nearly killed me, but I'm glad I did. And I want to have children, not only my own children, but spiritual children who live with fearless faith. And so does God Almighty. That's why God more often commands us to fear not 
and God always gives us a reason not to fear. He says, fear not. Why? For I am with you. David said, the Lord is my strength and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Make my day. God told Joshua, be strong and very courageous. So who are we here for? Thomas Aquinas claimed this. He said, if the primary aim of a captain was to preserve his ship, he would keep it in port forever. And the same thing goes for the church. If our goal is just to preserve it, we will defensively protect it. If our goal is to reach out, to go somewhere, to do something, we will willingly risk it. Churches who have a future are the ones who look outside of themselves. They risk new approaches. They get out of the box. They serve new people. They don't just keep the aquarium. They're fishing for men. They exist for others rather than themselves. In some ways, it's the safest route to survival. Churches of the 21st century will not be those that emphasize self preservation with no risk. The survivors and thrivers will be those who exist for others. God tells us that. He tells us that there's nothing that you and I can't handle together. Jesus would say to people, my advice to you would be don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear or what's going to happen tomorrow. Look at the birds. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't go to the factory. But your father cares for them. Look at the flowers of the field. You're more important than flowers or dumb birds. So my advice to you is stop worrying. Fear not. I am with you. You're going to get through this virus. Several years ago, a movie came out that was kind of a Disney documentary. It was called The Bear. It was cute. It was the story of a little bear cub whose mom dies in an accident early in its little development. So it's apparent that this little baby cub isn't going to make it on its own. But much to the bear cub's surprise, this great big giant Kodiak daddy bear comes along and adopts the little kid. And they do life together. He teaches the little bear cub how to live, how to fish, how to scratch himself against the bark of a big tree. And the little, little cub does everything he sees big daddy doing. Then one day they get separated from each other. The little cub is on his own. And the little cub comes to a stream in the forest. And this little cub and a mountain lion meet face to face. The mountain lion is ready to pounce. And it's hard to watch because your kids are watching with you and you just know what's going to happen. But at the crisis moment, the little bear cub does what he had watched his big daddy bear do. He got up on his hind paws and he paws the air and he tries to roar. But only a little squeak comes out. Then the camera goes back to the mountain lion, and there's terror in the mountain lion's eyes. And his ears go down, and he starts to slink backward and runs away. Then the camera goes back to that little bear cub just standing there and surprised he was so effective. Then the camera pans on back a few feet to show us what the little bear cub couldn't see. And just a few feet behind him is that great big giant daddy Kodiak bear standing up on his hind legs with a look to kill. 
and we understand what the little bear cub couldn't understand, that he was never alone. That although he couldn't see daddy or hear him or touch him or feel him or smell him, his big daddy was with him all the time. He was just as safe as he could be. And as I close, folks, that's what God wants you to know. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's going on around us, there is no power on earth that can separate you or me from the loving care and protection of Almighty God. There's nothing, not loss, not failure, not rejection, not loneliness, not cancer, not uh, coronavirus, not sickness, not death itself. There is nothing that has the power to separate you from the love and care of the Father in this world and in the world to come. I am with you, God says. But the ultimate promise of God is there's nothing you and I can't handle together. And when you get a hold of that, it changes your life and perspective. Type that right now in your chat. There's nothing I can't handle with God. Go ahead, just type it in. And one of the greatest I can handle statements in all of literature was written by the Apostle Paul. Imagine you've lost your job. You're isolated from your friends. You're living in a strange country where you don't know people. Jealous enemies have trashed your reputation. You've been arrested on trumped-up false charges. You've been physically beaten, put in jail. You don't know if you'll ever get out of jail, and you might be put to execution tomorrow. Do you think you might be tempted to worry? See? But here's what Paul writes. Sitting in a jail, not a penthouse, not knowing if he'll survive another day. He says, I can handle anything through Christ who gives me strength. And the promise of God is, so can you, folks. And one day from this church, great teachers and preachers and business leaders, sports stars and entrepreneurs will emerge on the stage of history. Yes, they will. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why, just one, because they sat in an atmosphere of a church that said it can be done, where God declared, don't be afraid, be of good cheer. My strength and my salvation is with you. Fear not. So why do you fear? Jesus died to remove our greatest fear, the fear of death. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of death. And Jesus said time and time again, fear not. Fear not the past, it's forgiven. Fear not the future, I'm already there. Fear not sickness and disease, I am the great physician. Fear not loneliness. I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Fear not death. I have defeated death, hell, and the grave. Fear not a business failure. For I am the Lord that gives you power to get wealth. 
I will supply all your need according to my riches in glory. I will plant you by rivers of living water. Your leaves shall not wither, and whatever you do will prosper. Don't worry. The cost of living in fear, folks, is way too high. And I hope you'll make the decision today to say, whatever I need to do, whatever things I need to learn, whatever I need to put into practice, I will pay the price because I refuse to live in fear. I've lived in fear way too long, and I will no longer live my life that way. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.